here it is, and once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Savalero, and we've got some great things to talk about as we're coming to you from the initial assessment conference in world-famous Lake Placid, New York. This is where the miracle on ice happened, and I actually had the opportunity to see that rink today. But before we go any further, just to remind you that this episode of Inside EMS is sponsored by Pulsera. Learn more about how you can build a regional system of care for free at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And always with me, to the chair to my right, is my good friend and my colleague, Kelly Grayson. KG, welcome to Lake Placid, New York. Oh man, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. Let's, let's rock. I don't know what that means, but... Uh, I don't either. It doesn't happen a lot of times we get the opportunity to sit next to each other. Every so often we have the opportunity to sit together and do a show, and uh, i got to tell you, you're a little intimidating for a big guy. Well, you know, I try not to be. I'm just a big, warm, fuzzy teddy bear. I know, but you're getting closer when you're saying that, so well, just back because away. Because I like to snuggle. That's, okay, that's, well. I'm part snuggle fabric softener bear, too. So snuggle somewhere else. <laughs> but uh, we are at the initial assessment conference in Lake Placid. And you've been coming here a few years. This, mm-hmm. is, this is my first opportunity to be here. And maybe just give the listeners a little bit about this conference. And i got to tell you, I'm really impressed so far uh, you know, with the way things are set up. And the conference hasn't really started yet. Today we're in pre-con. But you've been here a few times. And maybe uh, share with the listeners a little bit about you know, this great event. Well, yeah. And as you can hear from the background hubbub, it's, it's already kind of bustling with activity uh, just during the pre-con workshops. To my mind, uh, the initial assessment conference... It's probably, if not the, one of the premier EMS conferences along the, the Atlantic seaboard. Uh, these guys have been growing by leaps and bounds. I forget, I don't know what attendance numbers are this year, um, but they started uh, my first year lecturing here. Um, attendance was in the realm of 300, and it's well over twice that now. Um, and uh, they're, you know, the, the conference center at, here at Lake Placid, the, the Olympic Training Center, is uh, is a great venue, a lot of history associated with it, and these guys treat the the participants and the the speakers extremely well. Uh, uh, it's a privilege to speak here. And this is the 10 year anniversary. I got to oh, tell yeah. you, if you're in the region and you think about it next year, come on up there. There's some great speakers. I'm going to have the opportunity to speak. Nancy McGee is going to have the opportunity to speak. Of course, so I guess people listen to Kelly Grayson. Occasionally, you know, Ruben Farnsworth, Rom Duckworth. I mean, just so many great names are going to be here at this conference. So if you have the opportunity next year, I think this is really the place to be. But Kelly, I think we really have an awesome topic to talk about today. We do got a couple of guests today. And I think one of the things we're going to tackle is we're going to talk about this, you know, Connecticut bill that uh, is really kind of the, the big topic of discussion that's going on in EMS right now. But before we do that, we do have a couple of guests with us from Rockstar Education is the president and CEO, Ruben Farnsworth. Ruben, thanks for joining us on Inside EMS. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. It's great to be here. Look forward to talking with you guys. And I hope he's just not boring, Kelly. You know how he is, right? No, he's, he's not. He's, he's anything but boring. All right, good. But Ruben, thanks for joining us. And we have a special guest, everybody. And often you'll hear Kelly talk about Nancy. Nancy, you know, Nancy says and Nancy does. And well, who the heck is Nancy? Kelly, this is your opportunity to introduce Nancy to the group. Well, Nancy is my better half and business partner at Medic Training Solutions, and she is a uh, educator and EMT and consultant and volunteer EMS advocate who specializes in rural and volunteer EMS issues. Nancy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for uh, having me here. And I got to tell you, Nancy. I mean, if anybody's going right to heaven, 
it's you. I mean, I think you are living that purgatory right here. There's got to be wings underneath that shirt. You are going right to heaven in the end. So I just want to thank you for joining us. But Kelly, I, I think we got a really interesting topic to talk about. And I'm going to kind of let you set it up and so we can kind of talk about it. And, you know, we're really trying to make a difference now. When we think about PTSD, we're really trying to make a difference, you know, when it comes to bringing this out to, you know, the, the people that are out there. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows that, you know, PTSD is real and something that we've got to pay attention to. And it seemed like, you know, the state of Connecticut had a really great opportunity to make some strides here. But, you know, I think I'm stepping on your bubble. So let yeah. me give it to you for an introduction. Well, a bill was proposed Monday uh, to the Connecticut legislature to support police and firefighters suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and it proposed to allow PTSD benefits as part of workers' comp for a period of one year. Uh, and the really glaring omission, of course, is EMS. And there's currently a change.org petition to add EMS to that bill. Uh, and I think that's something that, that is long time coming and is, is sorely needed, not only in Connecticut, but every other state. Yeah, and we kind of talked about the specifics that PTSD is something that we truly have to pay attention to. And Nancy, I know that you have a lot of experience in Connecticut EMS. You know, you're, you're an advocate uh, for volunteerism. You know, Connecticut was where you really kind of developed and you kind of you know, grew up in the EMS field. So I really want to give you this first opportunity to talk about what you think that this bill or the lack of EMS being part of this bill really means to our career field. Well, I think it's important to understand that EMS, EMS originally was included in the bill, but was removed by the uh, lobby for the commercial and private ambulance associations. And Connecticut is probably close to 70% volunteer EMS and volunteer fire-based CMS, and I think that they just do not get to the table until after the fact, and that is how this managed to happen uh, with, with very few people in the EMS community in, in Connecticut finding out until the last minute when it, after it had been removed. So, so you're saying that, that in a state where there's 70% volunteer EMS, that we responded the, to Sandy Hook. That the, yeah, that the private for-profit uh, uh, lobby for private for-profit EMS lobby managed to get EMS deleted from this bill. That is correct. Why? Because they felt that it would cost them too much money to have to be responsible for that. Period. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to refrain from commenting because I don't know any four-letter words foul enough for that. I, I think you do, but let's go ahead and refrain <laughs> from commenting. You know, Ruben, you kind of heard, you know, Nancy kind of give us the you know, the problem. I guess I want to hit you with this a little bit before we really kind of talk about it. You know, PTSD is one of those things that really has to be in the forefront of EMS, in the leadership, you know, in the workforce. We really, you know, if we consider ourselves to be the most compassionate, you know, as Kelly will say, we have people who are sitting 18 inches away from us who are killing themselves and, and we don't really know it. And how compassionate are we really going to be? And we think about this Connecticut issue where, you know, the, the, the government, you know, the, the legislature in Connecticut really isn't thinking about EMS. I mean, they should have been able to say, no, we're going to keep EMS in this bill. I mean, what's it going to really take for PTSD to be on everyone's mind so we don't lose our, our peers? We don't lose these first responders to their own hand. You know, I think, uh, I think the first problem is, is still recognition. There's a there's a large body of, of people that are really speaking a lot about PTSD and trying to 
bring attention to it, but I think there's a lot of people in the industry who are still living in some sort of denial that we don't have an issue with it. And I think furthermore, there's an issue with, with a stigmatism around it. So there's still a, a lot of responders who may be struggling, but they just refuse to admit it. They don't want other people to know they're dealing with it. And I think it's going to take more people stepping up and saying, hey, I have a problem. You know, me, Reuben Farnsworth, I've been diagnosed with PTSD. We've all seen horrible things in our careers, and it's a cumulative, it's a cumulative illness that, that comes over time. And that's the key, too, is it's an illness. It's, a, it's, not, it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's that something's happened to you. And I think, I think we need to realize that, and I think we have to make sure our legislators know that, that our jobs may be different, but we really, we're the ones in the middle of it. Yes, firefighters see awful things, police see awful things. Most of the time, they're not the one holding a hand when somebody dies. Yeah. Most of the time, they're not the ones who have to explain to loved ones why their family member is deceased. Uh, they load up and take off, and we're left to deal with the grieving spouse, the grieving parents, and and so on. Yeah, I think that those play a big role in this factor. And Kelly, you know, you've been, you know, on this show, you've talked about your own experiences. And one of the things that I still find amazing is that you didn't know you had PTSD. You didn't know that you were kind of crispy around the edges. And it really took kind of a uh, you know, kind of a, a someone to, to to shake you, or you know, who, however you got to that point. But so when we think about that, it's not really in the forefront. Mm -hmm. How many people are really out there that don't know that this is an issue? But number two is, you know, as Ruben mentioned, we've got to be able to talk more about it. How do, how do we get this recognition? And I know we're getting a little bit off topic, but I think, you know, anytime that we have the opportunity to talk about PTSD, we really got to make certain that we are squeezing this in. So I really want to touch on this first before we get back to Connecticut. You know, I, I, I think that we're doing as an industry, we're starting to do a much better job about awareness. Uh, more and more people every day are becoming aware of the scope of the problem. What we still lack is, is any organized advocacy. Um, if you had asked me, Chris, two years ago, do I suffer from PTSD, I would have told you no. Uh, depression, chronic depression, yes, most definitely, and that was some, an issue before I ever got into EMS. But it wasn't until Nancy pointed out to me my anger issues uh, and, and how often uh, I went over the top in my reactions to things where I thought, you know, that's really not a, a, a symptom of depression. It's, a, it's more of a symptom of PTSD. I don't have a specific trigger, but I've found that my fuse in recent years has been a lot shorter. And my give-a-crap level is at an all-time low sometimes. And, and I thank God every day that I've got someone to point that stuff out to me uh, so I can work on those issues, but many, so many people in EMS don't, and and, and I think that that if we can get professional help for that sort of thing, uh, and get the the benefits that we deserve from our employers and, and from Workman's Comp, uh, I I think that's a no brainer in approving that sort of thing. But I want to turn the question back to you. You were an EMS leader. You were a manager and, and service director, and all that. At any EMS service, what is your most expensive and most valuable resource? Well, of course, it's the workforce. Okay, it's your personnel. 
Right. Now, when we talk about preventive maintenance on your fleet and your ambulances and everything, we know that preventive maintenance is the key to running your fleet well and to limiting your costs and your expenses in running that fleet. Why in the heck do EMS providers and EMS agencies ignore the benefit of preventive maintenance on their most valuable asset, their workforce? You know, I, I, I want to answer the question, but I want to answer it this way is that any piece of equipment that we buy, we're buying a monitor for $30,000, we're buying an ambulance for $150,000. Our workforce is the only thing that will appreciate in value if we give them the tools that they need to be successful. We're going to lose value in that ambulance. We're going to lose value in that monitor. So when we think about our workforce, we have to be able to make sure that our workforce is taken care of, that they have the skills, that they have the knowledge, that they have the equipment to do their job. But when we think about mental health, again, you know, people have this, this adverse reaction to mental health. But even from a leadership standpoint, if we are not making mental health the, the priority in employee engagement, in employee satisfaction. It truly has to be part of engagement. It truly has to be part of satisfaction because we know that it's an issue for our workforce. And if we're not doing that, then how are we going to be successful as leaders? How is our organization going to be successful? But more importantly, how are those providers going to deliver the highest quality of patient care to the, the citizens they serve? So, you know, Nancy, I, I think from your standpoint, now as an educator, and when you think about this from PTSD, and you may be teaching, you know, basic level courses, or you may be teaching, you know, advanced level courses, but do we need to start putting this, this PTSD issue into our normal everyday teaching and stop making it its own standalone class? I mean, if we're talking about scene safety, do we have to talk about scene safety and some of the challenges that could give us PTSD and how to avoid them from the very beginning. Um, actually, we are already doing that in uh, the classes that Kelly and I teach. We use a lot of Dan Limmer's dynamic learning exercises and it becomes a, a discussion format. Uh, going into scene safety or uh, any particular um, challenge with a patient, how do you think you would feel? How do you think that the people around you would feel? They start thinking about it prior to ever being in, in that environment. And I think that is very helpful and we get, we get great feedback from the students um, when we use those exercises. But it starts from almost, I would say almost the first or second mm -hmm. week of class. And whenever we talk about these things going forward, what else will you have to encounter in this scenario? You know, one of the things, one of the things, sorry to cut you off, Kelly, but one of the things that I would think about is if you're teaching that, mm -hmm. if there's a way for you to mine that data to talk about, is it making a difference with those people? Because I think that that's a great approach. So if you know from the beginning, and maybe these are new EMTs that you're training, depending mm -hmm. on your call, call um, depending on the course you're teaching. But I think that you want to be able to be able to mine this somehow to know that it is making a difference in, in the everyday provider. So you know, you know, Ruben, you're also in the education realm, and uh, are you kind of a, uh, you know working with that and you know teaching about PTSD and you know how to deal with the depression and burnout and those types of things? So yeah, there's there's two things I'd say there, Chris. One, I I don't know what the rules are on mentioning organizations. AHA is including that in their videos now. They have a coping with death section, which is phenomenal. They recognize the issue for all healthcare providers, whether in or out of the hospital. I think extending on what Nancy and Kelly are doing is I FTO a lot of paramedic students, basic students, new paramedics. 
And I started incorporating every time we finish a call, when we break down the call and review it and say, hey, how did that call go? I include in it, how do you feel about that call? Did you, are you feeling sad? Are you having any issue dealing with this 27-year-old female who is in stage four liver failure and probably won't see her 28th birthday? How do you feel about that? And I think that's the next step beyond teaching it initially is monitoring it in our people. And I think even monitoring it in our partners and our crewmates and, you know, no one wants to talk about their feelings. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, if you've never seen Chris Cebolero, he's this big guy, he's an Air Force veteran, He's Mr. Tough Stuff. He's from Jersey or somewhere like that. I don't know. And to walk up to Chris and say, Chris, would you like to talk about your feelings? How do you feel today? It's, it doesn't seem like a conversation would happen, but it's one that needs to happen. Are you, you, ought to be his, you ought to be his podcast partner. He cries on my shoulder all the time. I'm forever holding Chris Civilero's hand. Anybody who comes up to me and asks about my feelings, like we're going to be picking out furniture in the morning. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, it's not good. No. no? Okay, so... But let's go ahead and take a quick break, and then I want to get back to this Connecticut thing, because I really think as a career field, we have to pay attention to what is going on, and we've got to be able now, there's a petition going on, we've got to be able to call these legislators, we've got to be able to really make a difference, because it may be your state that's doing this next, and really, when we think about a grassroots effort, we got to make a difference. But first, I want to go ahead and tell you a little bit about Pulsera. And Pulsera provides real-time communication network across entire regions, and it's free to EMS. The Pulsera platform, built on the power of mobile technology, unites the right clinicians at the right time for the right patient. It provides transparency and, and streamlined communication. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build a team, and communicate using audio, video, instant messaging, data, images, and key benchmarks. Any patient, any condition, every time. And oh, did we mention that it's free to EMS? For more information, visit pulsera.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. So let's go ahead and switch gears here a little bit. I want to get back to Connecticut. As I mentioned before our little break, we really need to now pick up the phone. We really need to sign this petition. So Kelly, I think I want to ask you first, you know a little bit more about this topic than the rest of us sitting around here. Is there a way that we're now able to, to use our voice for the folks that are in Connecticut to kind of make this happen for them? And, and what's the best way really to kind of, you know, the people who are out there to, to kind of be with us in this grassroots movement to make this happen for the folks up there in Connecticut? I, I, would, I would first point out uh, and appeal to the 70% of EMS providers uh, in Connecticut that are not employed with private EMS or for one of the agencies that was successful in, in squashing uh, the EMS provisions in this bill. Um, make your voice heard. You just heard from the uh, Connecticut Association of Ambulance Providers what they think of the preventive maintenance on their most valuable asset, their personnel. They don't think that PTSD benefits are worthwhile. We urge you to tell them otherwise. Make your voice heard. There is a change.org petition out there right now that is holding at 4,000 signatures and at 5,000 signatures it will be sent to the Connecticut legislature. We want 10,000. We want 15,000 signatures. You don't have to be from Connecticut to, to sign this petition. Make your voice heard, because if we're not looking out for each other, nobody else will. And nothing is more obvious from the recent response to this, this uh, proposed legislation than that very fact. 
If we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. Everyone in this room, everyone in EMS, if you ask them, would you have your partners back in a fight, they would say yes. But what if the fight is with the demons in their own head? Do you have their back then? If you do, sign this petition because it's that important. You know, I think you take it one step further, Kelly. We always we always wear T-shirts. We always say no one in this family fights alone. Fire, EMS, law Indeed. enforcement. If you're in law enforcement, if you're in fire, if you know people in those in those other branches of emergency response, have them respond. Have fire departments calling and saying, no, our EMS brothers and sisters need this too. Have law enforcement calling and saying, no, this needs to be afforded to the medics just like we have it. Uh, it's not just an EMS issue. It's we need to we need to have each other's back across the spectrum. Indeed. I think it's important to understand, especially in the volunteer community, they do not get tracked. If you are you are not tracked as a volunteer firefighter or a volunteer EMT, you are a pharmacist or you are a truck driver. That's or a great point. So they really are not as aware to the extent that, that this affects them. Um, and I would say, given what they do in their local community, that it could be a friend or a family member or a neighbor, more likely uh, than, than for the average provider, they should really be at the forefront of this and looking out for each other. Yeah, this is really great stuff. And, you know, uh, as, I, as I'm listening to you guys talk, I, I think you're making some really great points. What we have in Connecticut now is a bill that is trying to get passed, that's trying to recognize that PTSD is strong enough that it could be considered for a benefit. But, you know, the question that I want to give, and, and, and since we're all here and we're all intelligent and we know our career field, it was still not addressing the issue of people getting to that point of needing the therapy or needing the, you know, needing the, the benefit of, uh, you know, secondary to PTSD. We got to keep people from getting to PTSD. Is there really a way? I mean, is PTSD something that our career field can really make a difference in, or is it just par for the course? I mean, you know, you're in EMS, you're going to see things that are going to happen, you know, you're, you're going to get PTSD, period. Um, and, and I think that, is that really the answer? Do we just have to know that this is part of our career field, that we've got no choice? Ruben, what do you think? You know, I think, uh, I think that conversation starts with, I've heard it called uh, compassion fatigue, and I think that's where it starts. I mean, we're we're people who deeply care about other people. And I think if you do this law job long enough, you're yeah. going to end up with some degree of PTSD. Not everyone's going to have career-ending PTSD. Not everyone's going to have nightmares. But I think it's going to happen. I think resiliency training can help. I think a lot of the things that are being done about sleep and, and sleep patterns and a good work-life balance, I think are important. If you don't have good work-life balance, if you're sleep's poor, your circadian rhythm's poor. There's a lot of studies and data out there to show that that could compound your risk of getting developing PTSD. And and I think there's ways we can mitigate it, but I think I don't think you'll ever get rid of it. It's not polio. We can't eradicate it. Well, I mean, in the days of uh, immunizations, I think polio may be coming back like the measles. <laughs> but, you know, Nancy, what do you think, though? EMS, PTSD, hand in hand, nothing we can do about it. I'm not sure I agree 100%. I think there's going to be occasions that are going to absolutely 
create a situation where there's PTSD. But I think we can work on stress inoculation from the classroom up. And what I've been finding, unfortunately, with our students, who some of them already work in the field, is that we are more inoculating them against the EMS providers that they are going to encounter as they go into the field, who are gonna tell them, suck it up, buttercup, or you don't belong here. So we need to fix our own um, and work with the students as they come into the field. And I don't understand why companies would who employ EMTs and paramedics wouldn't see that keeping your people, letting them know, advertising that things, bad things are going to happen, but we will teach you coping skills. We will help you with that as opposed to just turning them over and looking, you know, to constantly recruit and wonder why you're not retaining people. It seems like a no brainer that it would be cheaper to do the right things in the first place than to try and replace those people continuously down the road. Besides it being morally and ethically the responsible thing to do. So I'm gonna... And to clarify, I totally agree with Nancy. I, I agree that we can do a lot to mitigate this. Mm-hmm. Like, I I just don't think we'll ever make it not happen. Right. I, I do agree with everything you just said. So, Kelly, I want to give you the final thought. It's always great to hear you opine on a topic. And I'm going to sit back, everybody. I just want to let you sit back and relax, and, and let's hear Kelly Grayson's final thought on this topic. Well, you know, I think one of the biggest components of PTSD and and burnout and compassion fatigue, whatever you want to call it, uh, is unrealistic and shattered expectations. I think if we approach this uh, with realistic expectations of support from our agencies and from our peers, then resiliency becomes a much less complicated issue. Um, the number one. We need to stop calling it compassion fatigue. We need to stop calling it burnout. We need to call it exactly what it is, what Dr. Zubin Demania calls it, the Z-Dog MD, calls it moral injury. It is. It follows a defined pattern. It has defined uh, symptoms and characteristics. It is exactly that. It is moral injury. And the people that are responsible for employing us and supporting us as caregivers need to understand the injury patterns that are occurring among their crews. That's what I think. We've heard what Nancy and Ruben and Chris think. We'd like to hear what you think. But more than anything else, we'd like to see you sign that change.org position and make your voice heard. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Don't forget to sign that petition. And we'll catch you guys next week.